What's up, guys? Mitch from Respect My Region, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast. Today, I have a very good friend of mine, Mr. Chili Mac, founder of Mr. Max, and a bunch of other stuff, man. We I don't want to define him by just that, but for a sake of a brief intro, I'll keep it just at that, man. How you doing today? Man, I'm good, man. You know, blessed and highly favored. You know how the saying go. How are you? Uh, man, I I'm living, man. I'm definitely definitely doing good. This is my I think my third podcast episode of the day, so I've been stacking up content. Oh, so you getting it today? Yeah, I'm but trying to, I'm trying to share this to my feed. But I got you on last because I didn't need to do much preparation for this because we just spoke about a week ago to get caught up with what you're doing, and I'm familiar yep. with your rise, and so. Um, and I'm just excited to have you on here for a multitude of reasons, man. I mean, you know, you're coming, you, 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 I met you up here in the Washington state market. So you understand what's going on here. You're down there in Oklahoma and really been pie, you know, one of the pioneers out there. Um, and then now obviously you're breaking into other markets. So you just like, you got, again, like I said, I can't define you in just one title, but I also can't define my excitement of the topics that I'd like to cover with you in just one topic, man. Man, I mean, you know, you you said you was, you know, happy to see my rise, bro. Like, I mean, we talked about this. Me and Joey talked about this, too. Like, you guys were a part of the rise, though. You know what I mean? Like, no, no games aside, no BS. Like, so forever grateful to you guys. Man, one and, and appreciate that, man. I know what you shared with me last time, that definitely it means a lot to me, man, because that's Ultimately, what we do this for is to provide a platform to provide, you know, inspiration, connect dots. And mm. so when we get some of those stories where that stuff actually happens, it's like the mission that we really set out. What we really want to I mean, obviously, we want to make money and we want to do cool things. But at the end right, of the right. day, like the real purpose is like the real like what you share with me, that real shit. Like that's the the motivation to keep going, you know, facts, big facts. So. Mr. Max, the brand, actually, I'm going to back it up. So we'll talk about you and then we'll move on to the brand. So Chili Mac, I believe, and I might be correct, I should have actually confirmed this before, but I know you you have music industry background as an A&R and a manager, correct? Is there other, I'm sure you've worn other titles in the industry as most people have too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it started at the, you know, we're talking about, you know, like the, 2000 era like beginning of 2000 so you know back then it was working your way up into stuff so i mean everything from you know working in the mail room to you know being a, a grip or or something on on video sets but eventually yeah i worked my way into being a anr and a artist manager specifically yeah. doing artist development and so part of that I would say what you probably enjoyed the most was being able to help guide someone on their journey and then also be able to identify some of those unique things about them and, and connect some pieces. I'm just, I'm drawing, trying to draw some lines with mm. what you're doing now and back then. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, with, with me, um, I'm one of those people that I learn, I try to learn from my mistakes, but more importantly, I try to learn from other people's mistakes. And, uh, with the music piece, I was able to take every one of my failures and actually turn it into um, a teachable moment, a teachable lesson, right? And if I have any gift, you know, people always try and give me all of these, you know, hats and, and accolades or attributes. But I think my biggest gift is being able to identify talent, right? And that translated, you know, from music into radio and into cannabis and, and other things. So it's all it's all one big, big old, you know, chicken pot pie. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's another thing I think why you and I obviously have related on many levels for a long time. Love for music, love for cannabis, you know, yeah. long, long time love for both. You know, so many people pigeonhole it where. Oh, you know, rap, you know, especially because I do a lot of hip hop, you know, hip hop music mm -hmm. and cannabis go hand in hand. Well, like, yeah, they do. But, you know, for me personally, they definitely go hand in hand. But I also have very separate interest in both, you know, like, right. I don't just, you know, I listen to music when I consume cannabis. And when I make music, I definitely consume cannabis. But that's not the whole, you know, I'm also really nerd out about the cannabis. And I really mm -hmm. nerd out about the music, which I, I know you're far more levels greater <laughs> on the cannabis than myself. Um, 
So could you give me a little bit of your journey um, in cannabis? I'm aware of it, but I, I think it's a very powerful story. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, so I had this cousin named Jojo and um, Jojo is the reason that we talking right now. Um, Jojo was our older cousin and uh, he was more of a connoisseur. And so he taught me the differences and indicas and sativas and you know the different attributes that different strains have and why this is effective for this but this not this and so he's the one that that built that curiosity in me i'm a curious i'm curious by nature but he put the cannabis curiosity into me and so you know i suffer from fibromyalgia and, and neuromyotonia and those are both two neurological disorders and um I was having a tough time like finding consistent strains that work for my conditions because one thing with nmt and fibromyalgia is it attacks the body in different ways in different places so there isn't a, a true you know fix-all for that and uh that's what kind of got me into breeding and you know when i got into breeding uh, I ended up creating Blues Clues and PT Mac and a, a few other strains. And, um, you know, I was like, I, I really need to like do something with this. Right. And so that's what brought me to Washington. I ended up, you know, leaving here, going to Washington to, you know, try and, and make that happen. And, uh, you know, it was, it was like a lot of other, you know, um, failed stories, you know, where people, they, they leave where they at, they, they go somewhere else and they get things built out and stuff is looking real nice and, you know, plants is growing and then, you know, something happens and you end up belly up on, on that op. So now it's like, all right, fuck it. I'll go out and I'll get my own license and do my own thing. And, uh, you know, had issues trying to move it from Okanagan to Spokane County. So that was another hurdle in itself, you know, and um, I was at a point, you know, where I was like, am I going to do this? You know, is, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And we, and we talked about this and uh, I got invited to your event. And that was, you know, the event that was the determinant factor for me. If I just said, you know, forget it. I try. I lost. I'm going to just go back to what I know how to do was what's been taking care of me or, you know, do I, I, I keep putting my foot on the gas and that event, it was, it was that defining moment. The conversations that took place during that event was the ones that was just like, you know what, it filled my gas tank up and uh, it allowed me to push forward. And even though it didn't happen out there, there was the rumblings of 788 here. And my partner called me and was like, yo, if this go, when are you coming home? And I was like, shit, I'll be home the next day. But I'm thinking it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, you know, Oklahoma, you know, that Oklahoma and Utah will be the last two states to legalize. This is my thought, right? And uh, it happened. And I came back and we basically took that framework, that blueprint that we had built there and incorporated it here with, you know, a, a few pivots. But I mean, that's, that's really the, you know, how it started to how it came here. Yeah. And, and that's, a, and that's an awesome thing. Cause I remember like one of the first times I met with you and you just described your story going from a patient to a breeder to, you know, an edible, mm -hmm. or, you know, I, I don't just a chef, a pastry chef, not even an edible chef, a mm -hmm. pastry chef and how you kind of were able to combine the this professional know-how with this medical know-how to create strains that help specific conditions but then also mm -hmm. put them in baked goods right because mm -hmm. like a, you know it's very common in the medical world where there's patients that can't smoke or don't want right. to, to inhale smoke yep. for one reason or another um and then it's it's just been awesome to hear hear your story and then see you opening ground obviously on the you know the many endeavors that you've you've done been mm. able to do in the Oklahoma market and now beyond. What what kind of was the first thing that you felt like you got known in the Oklahoma market for? Was it the store? Was it the baked goods? Was it just the overall brand? Which one do you feel like really kind of led the charge out there? 
so um when we came when we when we decided you know that we were gonna do this here because it, it just seemed like a, a easier route um we had to really like evaluate what we were doing because when we were in Washington, you know, everything was based around the strains. It was it was all based around, you know, our us getting our genetics out there, us getting our flour into the market, linking up with a good processor to get good concentrates, et cetera, et cetera, right? But when that the whole boat shifted from Washington to Oklahoma, we reevaluated it and we're like, well, hey, I don't know. It's Oklahoma, we're in the Bible belt. Um, people may not be very receptive to smoking. People may may not be, you know, very receptive to, you know, just the the onslaught of strains and growers that they were going to face. So we start looking at where are the gaps in the market going to yeah. be that we can can actually fill. And I'm a pastry chef by trade, so it was like, you know, we really really looked at it and we're like, you know, the, the edibles, topicals, and tinctures is going to be the market that, you know people are gonna go after, but they're not gonna be able to, you know, get good quality stuff because everybody's gonna be starting from ground zero and we already on the 10th floor, you know? And so we, um, we when we originally launched, we did, you know, some mixers and stuff like that beforehand. So people were getting familiar with the brand we had already started our social medias in Washington and everything like that. So that so those were a little more established versus other people who were starting from day one. Um, so it was it was really the branding that set us apart from everyone else because you know, while everyone else was literally, and I mean literally, in either Ziploc bags with a label or saran wrap in a label we were actually in printed bags mm. and we, we gave that look, that, that feel, that impression of an out of state national brand. So that allowed us to, to separate ourselves early from everybody else, because while everyone else is dealing with mold and, you know, mildew and, and just, you know, untasty products um, here we are, you know, with, recipes that i've literally been making since the 90s mm. um and just pushing that pushing that forward yeah yeah when when did you so in the 90s is when you started just the pastry chef and you know journey or did you start mm -hmm. using cannabis at that in cooking at that time as well or when did that kind of start nah so i mean you know like anybody else we you know took some reggie and made some brownies <laughs> in the 90s and stuff like that right but the actual science part of it, you know, I went to school and I finished in 96, 95. Um, and uh, so these were all recipes that I've been making, caramel, hard candies, cheesecakes, all of these things that, that we make now, I've been making them for years. So it's like, you know, ingrained in me, right? But I got into the cooking with it probably I would say around 2010, 2011, I started getting into like, you know, the olive oils and the butters and stuff like that. And then, you know, trying to find ways to um, refine that a little more. Because, you know, I mean, naturally with any type of, of chef, regardless of what the concentration is, right? The objective is to make sure that whatever it is, it's palatable, right? And we didn't want to take away from, you know, the flavor of a, a really, really good caramel with, you know, a crazy, you know, weed flavor. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to, you know, so we were, were looking at ways that we could, could dial, dial that back or ways that we could mask it with certain things. And um, so that was, you know, how that played out. But when I got super, super serious with the cooking part of it was probably around 2014 right before I, I went to Washington. That's when I started like expanding and exploring with, with different things, you know, confections versus baked goods versus condiments and, and different stuff like that. Yeah, because that's, um, I like I liked your approach, right? Because definitely back in the day when we were, you know, when everybody was making brownies, it was, you know, take the trim. I mean, yep. the, damn near just the plant matter <laughs> what was left <laughs> yep. on the stock, you know? Yep cook that in some oil, you know, half the time I didn't even strain it out. So this is a crunchy brownie, yep. you know, yep. and you're, you're eating it for functionality. You know, I'm just eating it to get high. I'm not eating it to have a good brownie. Right. right. And so 
moving into the legal market and, you know, yourself even kind of in the, in the medical market pre predating recreation, you know, your interest mm -hmm. in the recreational market, taking that approach of like, how do I make something that tastes good and still mm -hmm. has functionality to yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really been, you know, the, some of the big differences, you know? Yeah. And so wh what do you think? Like, cause I think a lot of people that first came in the market, you know, and I'm not trying to bash on anyone, but I think a lot of people mm -hmm. that first came in the market just made, you know, low grade edibles with low grade distillate in it and didn't really look at how do we make something where these flavors work together, where these compounds mm -hmm. really work together. Um, and I think, would you say that just your experience as being a chef just made you be like, I got to make this taste good. Or were you really trying to get the best of both worlds of like, this has got to be functional and it's got to taste good. Kind of what was the ethos behind that? Yeah. So, you know, it's always been, been 50, 50, right? We, the, the two main components are consistency and effectiveness. Right. And if we're consistent in the recipe and we know what our source material is, we can be consistent in its efficacy. Right. And for a lot of people, when we first started, you know, we're talking about liters being 25,000 for, for distillate. So a lot of people weren't going that route. They were going with, you know, they're going to buy somebody's trim or they're going to do this. So there was, there was a, a dramatic, you know, gap, valley, gorge, whatever you want to call it, between our stuff and literally everybody else's stuff. Because, you know, the program started October 26th. We entered the market November 4th. We were like the first or second edible brand to like hit the, hit the market. And, um, you know, again, it's like, do you go with this that tastes extremely like weed? Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll get you where you need to. But, you know, are you experiencing upset stomach? Are you having bubble guts? Do you got the burps? Do you got gas, et cetera, et cetera? Because people, this was new to everybody, right? So they were, you know, they had been accustomed to making edibles for a party or, you know, to, to last, you know, a couple of days, nothing to be packaged, nothing to be put on the shelf and have to be there for an extended period of time. So we knew that was one of our, our advantages as well. And we, we, you know, really kept it simple. We didn't, we don't do, you know, the the cereal treats with the marshmallows and the and the chocolate drizzle and, and, and all of that extra stuff because that's extra stuff that the body has to process. We keep it simple. We took simple products, hard candies, lollipops, gummies, caramel, and those were our edibles. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it's just hitting that that note time after time after time. If I go in a store and I buy Werther's, the Werther's caramel, if I buy the hard caramel or the soft caramel, it's going to taste the exact same every single time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They don't have to worry about doing no foo-foo stuff and putting no extras on it or, or anything because that product itself, the, the, the reputation behind that consistency and, you know, flavor, smoothness, whatever you want to call it, you know you're going to get that every single time. And other people were literally just trying to, to figure it out. So this week they got this edible and then the next mm -hmm. week, there's a new version of the same edible, but it's something different. So people didn't even have time to really like grab a hold of anything because everybody else was still plugging and playing and doing their trials to figure out what they wanted to do. And that's and that's the thing, right, of moving past baking in your kitchen to, you know, I, I don't again, I don't mean to disrespect, but, you know, a janky kitchen or brand right. to moving into understanding cannabis is a CPG market or in medical markets is mm -hmm. moving towards a traditional CPG market yeah. and consumers are going to have CPG expectations of the product. You can't, yep. like you said, I can't go in and buy a Hershey's bar and be like, well, last week's batch was better. I'll try again next week and hope it was mm -hmm. as good. You know, it doesn't work like that. Maybe flour right. and wine, right? We can talk about different mm -hmm. harvests, but mm -hmm. when you talk about an edible product, it, consistency is is the number one thing it has got to be consistent out the gate yeah for sure and so i i got two two smaller questions i want to i want to ask and this might be difficult and it, i don't know what is your favorite medium 
to infuse? Is it butter, coconut oil, vegetable oil, like your starting base, I guess, to make? What is, what is your preferred? You might have different different ones for different occasions, but what, what do you well, prefer the most? I don't really, so that's gonna be, that's gonna be contingent on the end result. Like, so for hard candies and lollipops, right? Hard candies, lollipops, gummies. We use uh, coconut oil base, right? The reason we use the coconut oil as a carrier is unlike butter, it's gonna be less greasy. Um, it has, you know, a lower melting point and it's going to be a better carrier of the medicine, right? But with those three particular products, the hard candy, the lollipop, the gummy, um, we don't do a pectin gummy. So it's, that's technically, those pectin-based gummies technically aren't gummies. They're classified as a jelly in the confection mm. world. Um, the gelatin-based are considered gummies. So like there's, there's specifics when it comes to, to confections. Well, the gelatin-based gummy is, is chewier, so that's going to stay in the mouth a little bit longer, giving you a sublingual delivery versus something that's going to be swallowed and then, you know, processed by the kidneys or the mm. liver or, or whatever it may be. And the same thing with the hard candy and the lollipop, those are, are gonna, that's going to be a, a sublingual delivery. So it's a, a faster onset. It's, you know, designed to appeal to certain issues. Um, but for products like, you know, our caramel, that's a butter base. Um, that that medicated period is going to last a little bit longer. It'll be a little more intense. Um, and, you know, it's it's more on the quote unquote savory side. Right. But then when I go into things like, you know, a tincture that may be uh, MCT oil or if we go into, you know, topicals, one topical it'll be olive oil base. And then the other topical, it'll be a different base. So it's, it's really going to be contingent on that product type and what the desired effect from that product mm. is intended to be. Um, so I, I truly don't have a, a favorite. You don't even have a preference. <laughs> no. of, so I mean, that was going to be my, my next question was going to be, what is your favorite edible, like fa favorite finished good? And it sounds like you might have a hard time picking that one. Okay. Well. So, on the menu, I would say it's either going to be the caramel or the caramel apple pot pot. Um, off the menu, it'll probably be our toffee or our chocolate. Um, those are both two two product lines we haven't dropped yet. Uh, kind of like the caramel. Um, I'm a I'm a R and D the shit out of it, right? And I, I'm a I'm a work it and I'm a work it and I'm a work it like like this tea we getting ready to drop pretty soon. You know, I've been working on this over a year. You know, mm. the, the caramel and the and the toffee. I've been working on that two years. So you know, when it drops though, it, it there won't be another toffee like it. There yeah. won't be another chocolate like it. There won't be another tea like it. Just like there's not another caramel like ours. You know, there's not another tincture um, like ours. So. And so from a, <laughs> from a from a product development and just, you know, brand positioning, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but how much do you pay attention to what else is on the market and how much do you go QA, like what else is out there? So that's one thing that um, my, me and my partner are pretty, pretty good at. He will go out and if he sees something, he's going to pick it up, right? If it's something different, if it's something new, if it's a competitor, whatever it may be, he's going to pick it up. And then we'll literally bring it back to the office and me, him and Kevin will take a look at it. We'll sample it or, or whatever, and we'll grade it, you know, and we're not grading it on against ours per se. We're grading it according to a scale, according to a scorecard. And then we're evaluating where we feel that that product sits. Then we look at other things like, you know, What's their price point in the market? How many stores do we see these particular products in? Um, you know, are wholesalers and distributors moving them? Is it is it strictly you know processor directly to to dispensary? Like we pay attention to all of that kind of stuff because you know at the end of the day, you know, Pepsi may not care about Coke's new formula, right? But Pepsi care about Coke's market share. Mm -hmm. Pepsi cares about you know Coke's 
you know, outreach and, you know, community, you know, services and, and all of the different things that Coke is doing, they're going to pay attention to that and then evaluate what they're doing against what, what Pepsi is doing and figure out how to, how to either make it match or, or exceed it. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's what we do. You know, we, we definitely look at all of the, the different products and product types that are out there. And we, we actually look at the public's feedback um, because I mean, anybody will come in and say, oh man, you know, th those pop pops be, be kicking and blah, 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 blah. Right. But they know that that's ours. You know, they may be cool with us or right. whatever. So that feedback is kind of like the music industry, right? That, that 13 block radius, you know, the people within the 13 blocks, they know you, they love you. They want to see you do good. So even though your music may be shit, they're going to support it. <laughs> and, and, and it's the same way with, with this, right? It's very clicky. And, you know, people, that, that's your boy, that's your homegirl or, or whatever. So, bam, we going to automatically, you know, say that this is good. We don't, we don't, any good feedback that comes to us, we receive it, but we're more concerned with the negative feedback. Mm. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be praised. I want to know what's wrong so I can be better. Right. You know what I mean? My objective is, what, what Jimmy Iovine said, kill, kill, kill. That is my objective. You know what I mean? And if I'm sitting back being praised, I'm I got my feet up. But yeah. if I'm I'm work if I'm working on my critiques and I'm working on the things that patients and, and actual consumers feel like is making their experience better with our products, like that's my focus. Absolutely, I mean, uh, and I, I I agree. I think that's crucial. You know, I love. I used to like feel weird about giving people critical feedback, you know, when mm -hmm. they ask, Hey, what do you like think about this? And it's not, you know, maybe it's not my favorite, but it's not, you know, you kind of dance around it. And now it's like, you don't got to right. be a dick, but being honest, right? Like, Hey, there it this, is. this was advertised as this. And, you know, I, I, for me, at least for me, it didn't really work like that, you know? And because right. that's something like exactly what you're saying. Like I can't do nothing with all oh, this was the best. You're like, Right. Unless 100% of customer reviews say that, then you know you're on the right path. But right. you can't do much with that unless it's a high volume, great sa sample size. You know, you need that, yep. you know, hey, the packaging, you know, this this bag's a little too thick or something, you know, whatever. And you're like, OK, bet I now I can look into that more. OK, I can adjust that. I can change it and and perfect mm -hmm. the delivery and. Yeah, yep. that, criti that critical feedback. But so many people, and I love to hear that you say that because so many people, and you know, from music, they can't, they can't, they can't handle nah, the critical. Not feedback. at all. <laughs> not at all. It's, 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 it's almost like you cuss their mother out on Sunday in front of the church. Right. Right. You and know? it's like, yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you get better? You know, nobody walks in the gym shooting a hundred percent from beyond the arc. Man, right. you got to get better. You know, you got to improve your form. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, so obviously, you know, you got this brand started in Oklahoma. It was one of the more exciting markets that the country has seen over the last mm -hmm. probably two years, I guess. Um, what is your thoughts on the ground? You know, they opened up licenses. So people for a second were pra praising it as this haven. You could go in, you could easily get a license, get your operation. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the downside of that, you know, a year and a half into it, we have we have an oversupply. There's too many stores. There's too many licenses. Mm -hmm. Being on the ground floor, like, what do you kind of see going on right now? And like, what's the report on the Oklahoma market? So, I mean, it's a mixed bag of tricks, right? If if you're asking, you know, the patients and the the advocates and activists, you know, it's everything is great, right? Um, it's a free market, you know. People can find whatever it is that they need. And if somebody wants to give it a shot, they can jump in and, and just run and go, right? But from an operational standpoint, um, when, you know, you cap the, when you basically cap the demand, but you're not capping the supply, mm -hmm. um, you run into, you know, situations like Oregon, right? Where you have this surplus and, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, we were paying twenty five thousand for liters. I can get a liter right now for twenty eight hundred. You know what I mean? So, so just in a in a thirty six month period, the value of a liter of distillate went from twenty five thousand to twenty eight hundred. 
And what people aren't understanding is, you know, as the price comes down and there's, you know, we're sitting at like 8,600 growers right now, 2,200 dispensaries right now. We're over 12,000 licenses for the state and we only have 340,000, I'm sorry, 380,000 people in the program in a state that only has 3.4 million people. So when you start breaking these numbers down, right, and you got 380,000 patients, you know, 2,200 dispensaries, that averages out to like 160 patients per dispensary. But once you factor in, you know, product availability, dispensary preference, so on and so forth, that 160 rapidly then dropped down to like 50. Is 50 patients a sustainable model for, for business where you on the street, where, you know, just going from 89 to 59, there's 27 dispensaries. Right. Right. So now you're talking about $10 AFES. The quality of the product is way, is way down. And at a certain point, if I'm a, if I'm a, say I'm, I'm vertical, right. Or, or say I'm not vertical, say I'm a processor. If I'm relying on buying someone's, you know, flour or trim or, or whatever it may be, I'm buying it at this, this super low, low price. Right. But I also have to sell what I make at a super low price as well. And if the flour is two or $3 a gram and a concentrate is $5, $6 a gram, is it worth it for me as a company to produce concentrates? Mm. Probably not. So if I'm not producing concentrates, that means I'm not making distillate. That means I'm not making RSO. That means I'm not making all of these other things that lead into all of these other processed goods. Mm. So your topicals, your tinctures, your edibles, like all your carts, all of that stuff, and you're going to see fewer and fewer of that because it's just not, it, it makes no sense for me to, to be in business to, you know, lose money ultimately. Right. Um, so that's the downside to it uh, because, you know, there's, there's no real end in sight, you know, like fresh frozen is like 40 bucks a pound. You know, I can get, I can get, you know, premium, and, and you know the difference in the, in the grade. So you can get premium outdoor for like 300 a pound. You know, good indoor for like 11, 12, 1300 a pound. You know, and the difference is a lot of the retailers aren't reflecting those, those savings. So it looked like we gouging people when they really didn't have with us down. And now right. it would have been a 30% profit margin is 5% profit margin. Mm. So I mean, you know, it, it has its good and it's bad. It looks good from the outside. If, if you're looking at it from another state, it's like we don't have no qualifying conditions. So anybody can, can be a patient. Um, getting in is, you know, having somebody that has residency and 2,500 bucks and you off to the races. So it, there, people aren't really having to put skin in the game to get in the game. And therefore, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the, the mm. access to the game. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, well, I just take my tax return and I'm good. Oh, I'll just take my <laughs> stimulus check and I'm good. And literally, this is what people are doing. But then you have other people who don't know anything about this at all. They've invested all of their 401k. They've done this. They've done that. Thinking that this is going to be a retirement plan. And they're working harder than they've ever worked in their life. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it depends on, who, on whose eyes you're looking through that, that determines if it's great or if it's not great. Yeah. And for, for our viewers out there that are on the West Coast, right, he, said, he mentioned that there's over 2,000 dispensaries in the state of Oklahoma. There is not 2,000 dispensaries on the entire West Coast right. between Washington, Oregon, and California. Right. I think it's like right. 16 to 1,800 if you count mm -hmm. up all three states. Significantly yeah. larger population without the medical, you know, everyone over the age of 21 right. is a potential customer, whereas you guys are limited to who holds a card. Mm -hmm. And that is just not, it's not a sustainable market. No. Not, not as is, no. No. I mean, so, you know, there, there, there's talks from the legislation. I play a pretty decent role in that, in that field as well. But there's a talk from the legislation about uh, potentially raising license fees and maybe doing some caps. I don't see that any of that happening this year because we're in an election year and, you know, the governor's trying to do some, some cleanup work to get reelected. 
I don't think he really wants to ruffle the feathers of the sure. industry because more people voted for cannabis than they did for the governor. So every elected official, you know, feels like they're in danger if they go against <laughs> it. You know what I mean? But they also don't want to be out there and be like, yeah, I'm for it, you know, so. Right. That's 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 a funny stat that, yeah. you know, the people forced their hand. More people voted for yeah. cannabis than voted for the governor. That's crazy yeah. that we, weed has more influence on the state of Oklahoma right. than the governor choice, man. That is interesting. But that's, you know, you know, I know you and I have talked about it. I, I talk about it a lot on the, you know, just even within the state of Washington where we don't have 2000 dispensaries and we have more, mm. you know, you know, possible clientele for cannabis and the inevitable is consolidation and growth mm. and much of the community and the culture is so anti the inevitable, if you will. Mm. Um, it's a weird clash that we have in just culture and society in a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, and I know you're, you know, and I know you come really from the culture. You're truly from the community, and you're also in business. And so, you know, do you sometimes feel it puts you in a unique perspective to kind of touch both sides and hear all these things? And also, you know, and I know you're a smart guy, so you see where it's going. And sometimes it's a little, um, sometimes it can be optimistic, and then in certain situations it can be dark, right? When you're looking at what the community and the culture yeah. want, and you're just like, it's not it's not going to end up the way you guys want. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things. And I always say, you know, this is the sad part, right? Because there are some of us that, you know, have been in other markets, you know, I was in Washington when it, it went from, you know, medical to recreational and then all of the medical dispensaries had to get the recreational endorsement. And if you did, you had to go through the entire process and it was just this whole little shit show. Right. But, if we're not looking at other states past, how can we truly gauge our future, right? Because if our present is based on their past and we're not looking at the things that made their programs what they are now, we're putting ourselves at a disservice from, from the gate. So uh, I, was, I was talking with someone earlier. Um, I won a, a award for um, uh, cultural leader or black leader or, or, or whatever it was. And they asked that that question, you know, like, do you do you see the 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 differences? And do you feel like you're in a, a privileged position? I feel like I'm in a privileged position because I've been in other markets, I've seen where they failed or, or where they've hit like major hurdles. And then I, I look at our market and the states that we're based behind. And I look at our failure points that we're rapidly approaching, right? And the thing is, is that we haven't gotten there yet. So we still have time to change certain things, mm -hmm. but it's hard to get other people to understand things need to be changed because everybody's still so, you know, happy and comfortable that we have cannabis, right? But they're not paying attention to the 44 bills that was on a legislative calendar this past session to overly regulate cannabis mm. and these people aren't participating in these processes to to actually you know have their voices be heard or be a part of a, a trade association or or whatever it is to have a collective voice they just think that you know if they call somebody or if they write a, a funky email then people are gonna you know jump to to their request right. and it don't work like that you, you know what i mean like it it, it takes people to actually come together be able to articulate what their pain points are and provide solutions. Even if they don't go with those solutions, you've provided them a starting point to mm. let them know where they, where they should be looking to go. Because at the end of the day, this is new to everybody. Every single legislator, every single regulator, every single patient, the, with the exception of those that came in from another state. But everybody else that was already here is brand new. So they gotta figure it out and the thing is, is if we're not figuring it out together, then those that we've put in power to regulate or legislate us, they're going to do just that, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. So that, that's the part that sucks because you see where it's going, you know where it's going. We're hitting all of the checkpoints to, to you know, hit that disastrous point. And it's, it's hard to get people to, you know, step away from their, their, the comforts of the joint or the comforts of the bong or, or whatever to understand that, yeah, I, I feel you, 
but we represent 10% of the state and there's 90% of the state that do not fuck with this program, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah. Absolutely. And, and two, and making change, especially at a regulatory or government level is, I was just on a conversation with, with someone earlier out of California that's very active in that. And it's, it's, it's slow and it's small, right? You have to fight mm -hmm. so hard and so long for the, yep. to get the littlest half inch, right? And yep. pray that that half inch can maybe open up to get the next six inches, you know, but it's going to be a while before you get a foot, right? Right. Um, it, it takes a lot of fighting and a lot of, a lot of effort for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it also takes people to be adults. You know, we, we, because we don't have qualifying conditions, people treat our program like it's a rec program, right? So, you know, they they out, they doing the Facebook lives, they they doing the, you know, the leaf blower events and, and all of that good stuff. And while that's adults doing adult shit, right? They still gotta understand this is a medical program. So for people who, as far as legislators are, are concerned that are against this, um, you're giving them ammunition to go yeah. and write one of these 44 pieces of legislation, right? You're giving them all of this ammunition. And while everybody else is, you know, decriminalizing and, and you know, doing justice reform for people convicted of, of, of cannabis convictions, here they're talking about criminalizing it even more for people that share because we're a medical program. Mm. So it's like, you know, one leaf blower incident from High Times 2019 that killed our 2019 political agenda and our 2020 political agenda. Mm. It was just this year, 2021, that they were able to finally get past the leaf blower incident. We had a very successful session, right? We got a lot done that we didn't think we would get done. And it was in the benefit of both the state and the, the people as well as the industry. So it worked for everybody, right? And then right before interim studies, which is going on now, we have another leaf blower incident. And who do the, the people that are in the political sphere, who, what do they have to do? Before we can have a conversation, we have to now diffuse this. Well, I mean, I, I hear you guys talking about you want home delivery and you want this and you want that. You want consumption lounges. But, you know, you guys can't even do right at this because now I'm looking at this. Or now uh, here's another leaf floor incident. And it, it just it starts us all the way over mm -hmm. because, you know, people feel like their rights are being infringed upon. I tell people having cannabis isn't a right. It's a luxury. Mm. It's not a liberty. You know what I mean? That shit can be taken away. It's not, it's not a part of our constitution. It can be taken away. They can regulate it down so hard to where you'll need to be a terminal cancer patient and you can now only get products that are 3% THC and you right. know there's plenty of states that are, that are like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard, you know, because again, you know where these trends have led other markets because you were there, you know, yeah. and, and it sucks. So that's why, you know, the smart ones have been looking at using the hype and the, I guess, popularity from, or the eyes being on Oklahoma to branch into, into other markets that are a little more uh, stable and a, a little more sustainable. Which is a perfect segue where I want to take this conversation going because that's what you yourself has done is built a proof of concept in a singular mm -hmm. state. And one of, you know, for for one way or another, a very difficult state to grab market share. Clearly, we're mm -hmm. talking about the size of numbers of licenses yeah. out there. Um, what was kind of I'm sure that was always the vision to not be singular state. Obviously, you started in Washington and went to a different market. But what what point of the journey did you think like? I don't want to just do this in a single state. I want to break into multiple markets. Or is that just the goal from day one? Man, look, day one, I mean, you know the you know the origin story, right? Yeah. So day one, you know, I meet Riker and uh we we met under like a, a bartering situation where she was managing artists and you know, I had uh, all of my film equipment and stuff like that up there with me, and I was like, Well shit. How about I do some work for you, for your artists, and you help me structure out this cannabis business. And uh, there was no names, there was no logos, there was no nothing. It was, it was literally just a, a, white, a whiteboard. And she said, you know, well, what's the ultimate goal? 
And I said, shit, the ultimate goal is to be the Mars of the cannabis industry. She said, why Mars? I said, well, Mars is everything. You know, it's Snickers, mm. it's Big Five gum, it's bounty uh, napkins, and, and just going down all the different things that, you know, encompasses the, the Mars Corporation. And I told her, I said, you know, we, I want to be able to have products on a shelf beside each other that compete amongst each other without truly competing with each other. Mm. And, mm. Um, and we basically, you know, started to, to build those, those bricks backwards. And so that was always like, you know, the objective was, was always to have this as a, as a, a household symbol that regardless of where you were at or whatever product category you liked, if you were a part of this culture, you would know what that, what that is. And uh, so that was a that was a day one thought. Man, that, that's awesome. And so you just expanded it. Could you give me because I can't recall them all and I should have wrote them down before this. But what markets are you now in and when did those expansions start? OK, so um, prior to COVID, uh, we you know, we had designated um, 2020 to be the, the year of the collab. Right. And it was like, you know, we had 2018, we entered the market, we had a lot of market share. Uh, we went into 2019, we maintained that market share, we opened retail. So now, you know, we're capturing retail dollars as, as well as, you know, the wholesale distribution dollars. Um, at that point is when we started to look at, you know, how do we, how do we get this other places, you know? And, it was like all the eyes was on Oklahoma, Gondrepreneurs writing, you know, uh, articles, Marijuana Ventures writing articles, Cannabis Times is writing articles. It's like Oklahoma, 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 Leafly's all about Oklahoma, Weed Maps all about Oklahoma, High Times all about Oklahoma. So we felt like there were true eyes on Oklahoma that normally wouldn't be on Oklahoma, right? And you know, for people that are in more established markets, they, they know who Chiba Chews is. They know who Smokies is. They know mm -hmm. who Juana is. They know all of these other companies. And it's just like, you know, for, if, I, if I'm a guy in a market, you know, it's like, you know, music, perfect example, music. If I'm a guy in a market here, I would be considered local, right? But once I'm known in, you know, Idaho and Oregon, then I become regional, right? So it was like, everybody wants to know what's the next best thing, what's the next hot thing, you know? And then when they start to, to look at that, they're now looking at, well, what makes this one different than this one? Is mm. it the product? Is it the packaging? Is it the marketing? Is it all of it? Like, you know, and so that opened the door for us to have a, a lot of conversations with people. Um, and it, you know, it originally started off as, you know, co-packing conversations to see, you know, what the opportunities would be to actually like go into other states and manufacture and, and, and do all of that good stuff. But it really boiled down to, to licensing, right? Yeah. Um, Coca-Cola don't make all of the Coca-Cola at, at, at one factory and then ship it across the country. They have these regional hubs where, or bottling factories, bottling plants, whatever you want to call it, where they bottle the product there and then ship it out to their particular region, right? Um, we wanted to be able to, to do the, the same thing. And how we looked at it was, if we don't have to make it, if we don't have to package it, if we don't have to deal with the distribution of it, if we're simply doing the licensing, the training, and the quality assurance behind it, that gives us all the time in the world to focus on marketing, advertising, and sales, right? And where, you know, one state may be uh, a 10% royalty kickback, right? Well, that 10% is in a, a regulated market where they don't have as many, you know, locations, they don't have as many growers, they don't have as many processors. And those orders are literally 20 times the size of an order for Oklahoma, because we have 1500 processors and 2200 dispensaries and 8000 growers and, and shit like that. So we actually make more money off licensing than we do off operations. So at that point, that it, that's just where you know, economics comes into play. And it's just like, okay, so now we start to target 
markets based on you know the length of the program. Arizona was targeted um, because one, Arizona has a it had a stable medical program before they went adult use. They only have 134 licenses. Majority of the licenses are carried by by two entities, and we had an in with both of those entities. So it was an opportunity for us to go in with products that Arizona doesn't have. There's no lollipops in Arizona. There's no caramels in Arizona. There's a, when you think of edibles, everything is a gummy. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so here we are coming in with a new product category, a new product type that tastes great and is affordable. So it's just like, hey, they them, these cats don't want cannabis cups. You know, they, they doing stuff down in Mexico and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's just like, yo, this is the next wave. And that led to, you know, conversations from Michigan and that led to conversations for Florida and that led to conversations to for New Mexico. And it just kind of, you know, did what it did. It's, it's, it's amazing that that is the rise and just how strategic and how chance so many different variables, mm-hmm. pl- you know, have timing, so many things that you can calculate and be on top of so many things that you can't, that are just the market or economics, right. That are out yeah. of control, out of one's control. It's crazy that, you know, your story is just a culmination of all these different things. Um, which of these new markets are you most excited of getting into? And the fair answer is all of them, man. Uh, yes, all of them, but most importantly, Arizona. Um, and the reason that I'm, I'm saying Arizona is, you know, it's a snowbird state, right? So they're, they're the height of, of their, you know, tourism and, and economic growth and all of that stuff. You know, that comes between October and, and February, you know, March for, for the most part. Um, and that's not to say that the, the spring and the summer months aren't, you know, aren't growth months, but it's an all year round type of a type of a state, right? And by us being able to go into that market with the market share that we are going in with, it only made, you know, great sense um, to, to do it that way. And, you know, it's, it's really something where we're converting operations, like day-to-day operations, even from Oklahoma, like we're we're exploring and, and moving into more of a licensing uh, status here and doing the operations in Arizona simply mm. because it's more stable, it's more profitable. Um, we're we're able to have you know more market share and not have to do as much work with way less competitors. Sure. Um, and you know, I mean, at, at the end of the day will never abandon this market because this market truly birthed Mr. Max. You know, it was it was built, it was conceived in in Washington, but Oklahoma actually birthed it. The first Mr. Max products were sold here. So, you know, we'll never uh, abandon that piece. But from an entrepreneurial perspective, and this is where people, they get it twisted because they're usually accustomed to working a nine to five. So they don't have that entrepreneurial mentality. And so they're not looking forward. They're not looking at, you know, three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now, 10 years from now, they're looking at tomorrow. And if you continuously look at tomorrow, you've already lost the game. You ain't even in the game. You sitting in the stands and you think you're playing, you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it was really just, you know, evaluating and just being true with our, ourselves and what we were trying to do and how we were trying to do it. And that's what made the most sense. You know, Oklahoma will still be home. Oklahoma will still be our headquarters. Our holdings company is based here. So all of our brands, our IP, all of that stuff is, is based from here. Um, and then that way, you know, anywhere we go, it'll always be, you know, this Oklahoma brand company um, is, is who we are. And it's, it's, it sounds and feels way different than, you know, a, a brand coming from California or a brand coming from Colorado or, or something like that. Like that's cliche at this point. Right. You know what I mean? And for us to be able to do what we do at the level that we do it at, it's just the, the best business sense. Yeah. I, 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 I can't, I can't, that's a great point. I can't even think of any other brands that I know came from Oklahoma to another market. Mm-hmm. It's very much the other way around, you know, right. as a very yeah. unique point. Yeah. 
Um, and definitely something to be, you know, for you to be proud of, man. Cause that's for sure. You know, like I said, I, I didn't even think of that, but I've also, mm-hmm. I know I've never heard that. So yeah, man, that, that is, that is awesome. And I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing your journey. Um, cause I think there was a lot of games said today on a lot of different levels. Um, that I think other brands and people can pay attention to because you definitely, you move with intention and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's not necessarily just and again i i know you i know your journey it's not just business you're not a green rusher right you know and right and, right and there's a place for that in this industry any industry anything you talk about commerce capitalism you know that's that's a part of it right but but it's great to see other people capitalize at a high level that can understand that game but are true you know loyal to the soil man that are really from it man i live by i live by a motto that was given to me a long time ago and it's play your game within the game, right? Mm. The game got rules. Football is a game, it has rules, right? A touchdown is six points. It don't matter if you run it, it don't matter if you throw it, it don't matter if you intercept it and, and get a pick six, it's still six points. So how you get that touchdown is completely up to you as long as you do it within the confines of the rules of the game. What too many people are trying to do is they're trying to change the game and they ain't even in the game. Mm. You can't change the game from sitting back looking at the game. Sure, you may know how the game is played. Sure, you may be able to see the length of time that it takes to play that game, but you don't have that IQ to play that position. You don't have that strength and that endurance to do this play after play, game after game, season after season, because you quarterbacking from the bleachers. Mm. And that's what people are doing. They're trying to change a game that they ain't even in. We rot, we create our wave within the game and we ride our wave. That's what mm. we do. That's poetry. That's gospel and poetry. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we do, man. So what's, what is, what is next, man? I mean, no, we talked about there's expansion to come. Is there anything mm-hmm. next that you want the people to know? What's, what's the next moves for Mr. Max? <clears throat> so, um, we're, we're actually about to uh, release a tea. It's a terpene-infused tea, herbal tea, premium tea, so not, you know, a Lipton or, or something like that. And uh, they're designed specifically to for certain things, you know, focus, relaxation, et cetera. And it's using, you know, cannabis-derived terpenes and other natural uh, elements, lavender, chamomile, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that brand of tea, I can't announce the name right now. I think we're going to do a, a, a name drop on it next week. Um, but we're partnering with uh, another local entity here, another local brand to to push that out. Um, because, you know, 2020 got kind of screwed up with COVID. That was the year of our collab. Mm-hmm. So we were looking to do more collabs last year. The only thing we really got done last year was the G-Pen collab. Uh, which is still a, a big collab, Major uh, collab, but we wanted to to do some more local things to build more community, you know, more of a, a, a local level industry, because, you know, like I know when the regulations come and they are coming, when the caps come, they are coming, when the increased license fees come, they are coming. That is what's going to bring all of the other big players into the game to then consolidate everybody else. So the more that people are working with others, the better it puts us in them, you know, positioning moving forward. And with us moving with that mindset of, of moving or operating here as, you know, a licensor instead of a manufacturer, it's pivotal for us to be able to, to work with other people because we want to attach some of, some of that respect and some of, you know, that, that goodness that we're doing onto others as well and and help bring them up too because like you said it's not all about us we all have for this to work we all gotta win Mm. you know what i mean so i i I can't be focused on me 24 7 if i know 15 other people have to win in order for me to stay where i'm at because if they fail i'm the last man standing now i'm against all the giants right right you know what i mean And, and so people they they really have to think forward but yeah, I mean, outside of that, you know, we got uh, we got some some cool stuff, you know, coming down with um, some a beauty care line that my partner and his wife is working on. Pretty pretty tough. Um, we got some 
some CBD and some Delta eight stuff that we'll play with while the, the market is, is still allowing that. So, um, you know, got some, some white labeling things that's, that's coming out and, and moving around off that. Other than that, you know, I got my radio show. Well, it's called Stigma. It's on KOKC 95.3 and uh, streams on iHeartRadio and all that good stuff. And it's about breaking the stigmas behind cannabis and, you know, the, the culture of cannabis. So that's what I'm up to, man. Hell yeah, man. All over, but calculate. Not, not all over in a bad Strategic way. Strategic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I greatly, greatly appreciate you hopping on this episode today yes, and chopping sir. it up with me, man. I look forward to many, many years of watching one another grow and, and continually finding some ways where we can work together in harmony on some deeper levels. But that's not for the conversation that we're having right now. Gotcha. Um, but, man, thank you, Chili. Really, really appreciate you, my guy. Man, I appreciate you so much from the bottom of my heart. Like, you have no idea um but you will know you know what i mean because you know i believe in any and everybody that helped get this to where it is um i'm looking out for those people you know what i mean so um be expecting me <laughs> let's get it let's get it man yeah we'll yes, be talking sir. about some of that stuff man all right thank you very much man appreciate yes, you North American Weed Tour Podcast, episode 32, Chili Mac, Mr. Max, and a whole other laundry list of brands. Appreciate you coming from Oklahoma and beyond, my guy. Yes, sir.